from high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Justin Higginbottom. This is your news for Monday, September 12th. Representative John Curtis visited Moab over the weekend. He represents Utah's third congressional district. That includes Grand and San Juan County. The occasion was a candidate meet and greet for Republican and independent candidates. Curtis, a Republican, is up for re-election this November. He's running against Democrat Glenn Wright. In a brief speech, Curtis named the biggest issue Washington is focused on. Inflation, inflation, and inflation. The representative took some time to chat with KZMU about what impact Congress can have in rural Utah. Here's that conversation. First, I want to say I don't know how many of the local issues here that we're dealing with can be solved in Congress. So I'm going to be honest, I don't know what's possible. That's kind of what I want to talk with you about. What are the issues that your office sees as the most impactful for, I guess, rural America and including rural Utah? You know, we could spend all night on that. I'll just um, say a couple of things. One is um, Grand County, like a number of my counties, is about 90% federally owned. So the interactions where they may not be federal issues, right, in other um, areas, for instance, housing, um, it, it's, it's far more relevant as a federal issue because of the high percentage of federal lands here. And um, so in addition, you've got the, the national park here, you know, issues like the reservation system, very impactful for the community. And so uh, there's a role for me in that as well. Uh, the, the uranium uh, site, uh, we've been very, very active on that as well. And um, so I, I think we find ourselves interacting with Moab on a, a pretty frequent basis. Um, and much of it has to do simply with the nature of the federal interface here. So with the housing, are you in favor of, I guess, opening up more federal lands for housing? Mike Lee, Senator Mike Lee has a bill that I think has real promise. And um, I, I believe it's it's gathering support. I'm not sure exactly who supports and who doesn't, but I, I think it's at least tempting on both sides of the aisle because of the, the, the vast need that's here. And uh, when we have a federal resource, we should be thinking about how do we employ that to help the local population. So um, I think that's just one really good example of how we can engage and help here locally. I will just give you the argument against that scheme, and that's basically people are worried about opening up land and then you get just more second homes and empty homes being built there and residents actually not able to... The nuances of the bill is important, right? How it's written um, is, is very important. I, I certainly don't think that's the, uh, the, um, the goal of the bill. And I think we can personally uh, protect from that happening by how we write the bill. You've worked on actual climate change issues, which is, which is sort of unique maybe with Republicans right now, yeah. So... I just came from a conference in Iceland with an equal number of Republicans and Democrats. Actually, I think there were probably more Democrats than Republicans. Every expert that spoke to us at that said, we need to be producing more U.S. fossil fuels because they burn cleaner than those of Russia, of Iran, of Venezuela. And so we can literally reduce greenhouse gas emissions while exporting U.S. fossil fuels. In addition, when we talk about long-term, we've got things like carbon sequestration and direct air capture on the table. And, um, and I, I think that we need to be careful and say, look, our goal is to reduce emissions, not choices. 
Does, does that make sense? Meaning, like, hey, if we can use fossil fuels to be reducing emissions, let's do it. Probably to, to reduce emissions even more would be not to produce. Let me, let me tell you what happens when you do that. Look at Europe, right? So Europe thought that they could get rid of their nuclear, get rid of fracking, and go down this path of windmills and, and solar farms. Well, today, they're buying natural gas from Russia, dirty natural gas from Russia. Their natural gas prices are eight times higher than the United States. And so, you know, my answer is, well, well show me a path that actually works to do that, and I'll have that discussion. But I can show you a path to a, a clean, green future that doesn't eliminate fossil fuels, that, that where nuclear plays a major role where um, U.S. innovation and technology is going to lead out in, in solving some of these problems. And I actually think part of the problem here is we, we tend to make this a, a partisan issue. There are very few problems we've ever solved in this country on a partisan basis. And what I'm trying to do is introduce a, a conservative voice of support for the goal of reducing emissions. But I'm going to bring some, some of my ideas to the table and I think what we need to do is sit down and, and debate everybody's ideas and let the best ideas rise to the surface. And unfortunately, in the past, Republicans really haven't been at the table with our ideas. And we've done a really good job of complaining and telling people what we don't like. And what I'm trying to do is start a movement of telling people what we like, why we think they're effective. And then let's have that debate. Another issue that's a federal issue here is, is Bears Ears and the National Monument status. So that's, that's been contentious. I think, you know, that, that lawsuit, which is going to cost a lot of money, which is going to take a long time to get through the courts, from my understanding. In the end, how do you want that land managed differently compared to how it is now? So, and, and let me just point out, since you brought the lawsuit, to be fair, the pro-monument people also had a lawsuit going when it didn't go their way. I just want to point that out. This isn't just, you know, the anti-monument people filing a lawsuit. So the answer to your question, Quite, which is, I think your real question is like, what's my vision of how this looks? Look, I've spent fairly more time on this than anybody I know of. I visited all five tribes at their location. I have, um, have, have formed really long lasting friendships with some of the leaders of these tribes. I've of course listened to the anti-monument folks as well. And here's my conclusion. The two sides are not very far apart. And um, there's, there's more a gap of trust than there is a gap of how they would handle this. And um, I believe the right answer is congressional legislation, bringing these two sides together, ironing out the few differences that we have and putting that into law so that we're not ping-ponging back and forth with a Republican president, Democrat president going back and forth or subjecting ourselves to lawsuits and, and I think everybody knows, I don't care how good your case is, you may, may or may not win a lawsuit. And then there's appeals. The lawsuit and appeals on either side could go on for a very, very, very long time. And, and the best resolution to this is to come together, find something that everybody can agree with, push it through as legislation, put it into law. There's another advantage to doing this in that through congressional action, <clears throat> we can bring resources. A monument designation brings no resources. So you have two or three BLM agents trying to cover 1.3 million acres. Everybody knows that's near impossible. My original bill had 20 new BLM, BLM officers brought into the area. So that congressional action mandates bipartisan. You have to compromise. You're not, nobody's going to be able to force this through on either side. 
So we find a solution that works for everybody and we bring in resources and we put this to bed forever. That's what I'd like to see happen. And I've committed no small amount of time to try to make that happen. That was Representative John Curtis speaking with me at the Grand Center in Moab. The White Mesa community hosted its annual bear dance this past weekend. White Mesa is a Ute Mountain Ute community near Blanding. Bear dances take place in Ute communities across the region starting in late spring. The celebration at White Mesa last weekend marked the final dance of the season. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamitis from KSUT and KSJD was there to report. Here in White Mesa, about 30 people are partner dancing inside an open-air corral made of juniper branches. Women are wearing colorful dresses and shawls. In a shaded area, several tribal singers are gathered to sing traditional bear dance songs. About 100 spectators are also in the shade along the perimeter cooling off. It's 97 degrees on the dance floor. A lot of people said, oh, it's hot over there. It's really hot. Yeah, it is hot, you know, and a lot of times life well, that's not fair. You just got to suck it up and take what's given to you and do the best with it. Jack Cansey Jr. is a bear dance chief in White Mesa and a Ute Mountain Ute tribal member. For the past three years, bear dance chiefs like Jack had to protect people from the COVID-19 pandemic. Dancing was limited and there was no close contact between participants. The two years that uh, the, the pandemic had hit our place here. Um, we just had, uh, we didn't have the corral, we just had uh, the guys singing. Now we're two years after the pandemic and after they lifted the, um, the restrictions and stuff, when we said, we're gonna have this bear dance. We need it done. We need the bear dance done, not only for, for the community, but for everybody else that survived this pandemic. The pandemic affected you people across the region and also Jack personally. You know, the first year that of the pandemic um, was the year that my um, my daughter passed away. I had to sit out the whole year and let it go by. The tribal members held a memorial for Jack's daughter on the final day of the bear dance. The bear dance marks the endurance of the Ute culture. Ute people have been doing this for generations. To Jack, the tribal members embody the spirit of the bear's resilience. We're surviving with this bear dance. No matter if it was just two people, you know, I'd still be out here. You know, that's, that's how much this uh, bear dance means to me. To get it back, you know, get it back. And uh, let the people enjoy it and satisfy the, the spirit of the bear. How he's overcome several obstacles in its life, you know, and, and we're the same way and we have to survive. There's no other way. The bear dance season will return next spring. Ute people can gather safely again with no restrictions on singing or partner dancing. For KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. Thanks to the bear dance chiefs at White Mesa for permission to record drumming and singing for this story. That interview from KSUT and KSJD was shared with us via Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a network of public media stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico, including KZMU. And that's the KZMU News for Monday, September 12th. 
Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.